This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Heavenly Father, we thank you again uh, tonight for gathering us here and for the opportunity to come together and pray as we lift up all of these uh, on the prayer list and others we've uh, mentioned. We always uh, ask for your wisdom, Father, in reaching out in whatever uh, ways you would have us to. Lord, enable us to serve, enable us to share the gospel, grant opportunities uh, that we may spread your word. We thank you for this time of study and ask for your enablement and blessing. Lord, as we look at this passage tonight and we ask that you grant understanding. Enable us to do all that we do here, Father, we pray. For your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, if you would turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. We will pick up where we left off here. What I'm going to do is read verses 17 through 25 um, to, uh, again, to get the context here. We're really going to uh, primarily be focusing in on the last few verses, verses 21 through 25, um, but this all kind of goes together, so we'll, we, we'll, we will recap a little bit as well, um, just to get the context. Um, by now, does everybody have the, the, the key verse uh, for our First Timothy? What verse that gives us the reason Paul is writing kind of sums up the message. <laughs> Not in the same place on the page, huh? Chapter 3, verse 15. So I want to remind us of that tonight as well. Chapter 3, verse 15. Because again, this, is, uh, this lies behind everything we're looking at. So let me read that also, first of all. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. There Paul gives his reason for writing to Timothy. It's basically so that we know how to act. That's the way, uh, you know, as parents you would talk to your children or your parents talk to you, teach you how to act. That's what Paul is doing. I write so that you may know how you ought to act, how you ought to conduct yourself in the household of God. It's it's us, the family, not a building. He's not talking about here's how you act when you walk in the door. He means this is how you act as Christians. Here's how you conduct yourself at conduct yourself as the household of God, which is that is the household of God is the 
assembly, the church, the called out ones of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. That's us. So Paul's saying, speaking to the church, the called out ones of God, the pillar and ground of the truth, and I want you to know, Timothy, how you and how the church are to conduct yourselves. So, so that theme is, is always in the background of this, uh, of this epistle. So now, um, we come over to chapter 5, and tonight we're still in the context of uh, instruction, Paul giving inst- uh, instruction to Timothy on how to deal with elders. Um, we've talked uh, about different relationships. For example, he tells Timothy how, how he's to treat older men in the congregation, how he's to, to treat older women. Chapter 5, verse 2, you treat older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. And then he goes into a, uh, a pretty lengthy discussion on how to uh, care for widows. And we talked quite a bit about that. And then he moves from that to elders. Or we could say pastor, just like we've talked about before. The term, when you see the term elder, pastor, or bishop, um, they're synonymous. Um, same, same thing, I think, uh, in the New Testament. So, uh, the, the word you'll see the most is the, is the term elders. Uh, but I think it's referring to the same office, pastor, uh, or, uh, like the old King James will say, bishop, uh, Overseer is the idea there. But synonymous terms. So that's what he's dealing with here. And as I said tonight, we, we, uh, where we're picking up is basically verse 21, but I want to get this whole, whole, uh, thing in context. So let's start reading in verse 17. <clears throat> Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the Scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning, rebuke in the presence of all, that the rest also may fear. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels, that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality, Uh, do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Some men's sins are clearly evident preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow after. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. So that whole section right there, verses 17 through 25, he's he's instructing Timothy on how to deal with um, elders, pastors uh, in the uh, the church. now, we, we talked about this before, so I'm just going to mention this real briefly because we covered this in some detail before. But um, usually when you see that term elder, like in verse 17, it's plural. 
there always seems to be um, the, the, the implication being that there is a uh, multiple pastors. Um, and that's the case here, verse 17. And, and, and Paul is telling Timothy. So, so we, we would think of it this way. You, know, you hear this said a lot, of, a lot of times today, like a board of elders, which would be a board of pastors. Um, and many, many churches today have uh, come to recognize that and, and shifted to that kind of a model. Of course, uh, I suspect it, it, it you know, could depend, too, on how many people you have and so forth. So smaller churches... Um, maybe a little different scenario, but it seems to be the norm in the scripture that there are multiple pastors, not necessarily one, uh, just one pastor. So he's giving instruction to Timothy on how, uh, how to deal with the elders, the pastors who rule well. That's one reason we know he's talking about, uh, these particular people. He's, he's speaking here of a, of a function, um, not, in other words, not just older men, but he's talking about specifically those who rule well, being counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. So he describes them as those who rule well. That's their function in the church, to rule and to labor in word and doctrine. Uh, some versions say preaching and teaching there. They labor in preaching and teaching. These are, the, these are the men that he's describing. These are the men that he's talking about dealing with. Uh, first of all, he says you're to honor them. That's the first few verses there. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Uh, and it's, it's the idea uh, uh, certainly of honor, like, just like in the way you would think of it, respect. But it, but it goes beyond that. It, it's providing for them. That's verse 18. For the Scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So he says, here's, here's what you do. Those, those elders that, that work, that labor hard in preaching and teaching, the word and doctrine, those who rule well, he says, you're to count worthy of double honor, because, he says, we have a principle in Scripture you don't muzzle the ox while it treads out the corn, you, you, uh, or the grain. You, 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 as long as the ox is working, <laughs> you let it eat, <laughs> and you and you feed it, and you take care of it. And I, I think when we talked about this a few weeks ago, I told you, <clears throat> uh, uh, my old boss. That was kind of his philosophy, maybe where it came from. He was an Episcopal priest, so he may have gotten it from here. I don't know. This was kind of his philosophy because the first several years I worked for him, uh, we didn't get breaks at all, at all. We weren't allowed to take breaks. But um, he provided a lot of snacks and stuff, and, and, and of course you could bring your own. And he didn't care if you uh, went and got a Coke or got a bag of chips or whatever you did, as long as you were working. <laughs> he didn't muzzle the ox as long as you were treading out the corn. And the laborer is worthy of his wages. So Paul, Paul points to an Old Testament passage here in verse 18 as support for uh, the idea of supporting elders. Deuteronomy uh, 25.4, and he points to Luke 10.7, the words of Jesus. Um, and I think I mentioned this before, but just a very, very important side note here. Notice uh, Paul says, the Scripture says, and then he gives an Old Testament passage, which they would have had as their Scripture, right, at this time. But he also gives uh, a, a statement from 
uh, from Jesus, and, and he considers it Scripture. The Scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So, uh, Luke 10.7, the words of Jesus there were already considered Scripture at this time. Okay, um, then he goes into talking about uh, discipline and dealing with elders that are sinning or, or at least accused of sin. First of all, in verse 19, he says, Do not receive an accusation against an elder, pastor, except from two or three witnesses. He's not saying don't, don't ever receive an accusation, but there's just got to be good grounds for it. And again, he pulls an Old Testament principle uh, You've got to have at least two or three witnesses. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses uh, shall thing be established. Those who are sinning, in other words, if they really are guilty, verse 20, this is interesting, he says, rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. Um, that's, that's discipline. That's church discipline. Um, now, he may mean, there's two ways of looking at this, he may mean uh, rebuke that elder, the elder that's sinning, you, Timothy, rebuke him in the presence of all the elders. Or he may mean in the presence of all the church. But either way, uh, he, he's, he's saying there are times that discipline is uh, necessary and it's not to be neglected. So he says, you, you rebuke the one who is sinning in the presence of all of them so that they may fear as well. I was in a service one time and, uh, the, uh, a, a very, uh, uh, good church, solid church. And <clears throat> the song director got up and, and, uh, he led the music. It was all real good. The worship was, was very good. And they were doing some uh, mixture, you know, hymns and contemporary praise music. And and then their, I think he was their youth pastor, I believe. He was preaching that morning. It was a young fellow. He was either their, over their education or their youth or, or both, education and youth, whatever. And he was scheduled to preach that morning. So he got up to preach and, and, and he preached a good message. But he used, um, he didn't like one of the songs that they had done, that the song director had picked out. Now, all these guys were elders in this church. And, and he didn't like one of the songs that the song guy had picked out. And he used it in his, uh, as an illustration in his sermon. Uh, he, he, he said something about it. He said something about that song. It was very clear, um, almost like a uh, sneaking in a rebuke there. <laughs> so, so, the next week, the pastor, the senior pastor... Um, Took care of it. He got up and, and uh, you know, mentioned what had happened. I want everybody to know here that, uh, you know, that, that was wrong. He shouldn't have said what he said. Um, we, we have, we, we, you know, we work hard for and maintain unity among the board, of, among the pastors. And, uh, you know, the guy apologized for what he had said. And anyway, the whole thing was handled. It wasn't just swept under the rug or ignored or something like that. The whole thing was handled, and they were probably uh, all the stronger for it. It was a strong church. My knowledge, it still is. Um, anyway, so sometimes things like that have to be done. And that, that was a minor thing, but 
sometimes things like that have to be done. And so Paul's telling Timothy, there, there's a way to go about it. And, but it does have to be done. It's necessary. All right. Um, now, verse 21, and this again kind of brings out the necessity of it. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. I charge you, I declare, this is a different word charge than we've seen. We've seen that in the English version. I mean, we've seen the word charge here more than once or command. But he's using a different word here. Just It's related to the word for witness. I bear testimony. I declare. It's the idea of a solemn solemn declaration. So Paul is basically saying, I solemnly declare to you, and you can... You can tell that because he, he uh, mentions God and Jesus Christ and the elect angels as witnesses. I charge you before them that you observe these things. All of these things. Now, I think here, here he's not just, just talking about uh, how to deal with elders, although it certainly includes that. But, but uh, we're, we're getting a, a, another example where Paul is saying, do these things. Do these things. I want you to observe these things. I want you to command them. I want you to teach them. I want you to do them. Why? Because I'm telling you how to conduct yourself as the household of God, the church of the living God. So these things are not just like good advice. They are commands to do, to be observed. Paul says to Timothy, do these things. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. By the way, that's interesting isn't it? that he includes the elect angels there. And uh, I don't know why, but, uh, <laughs> but it's interesting. But he calls them as, as witnesses, so to speak, as well. Before God, before the Lord Jesus Christ and the chosen or elect angels, Observe these things without prejudice, prejudgment. It's the idea of prejudgment. Do these things, Timothy, without prejudgment. Don't judge beforehand, you know, based on, I don't know, maybe there's an elder that you don't like as well as another elder, or maybe there's, you know, maybe you have favor towards this one over another, or maybe you think you've uh, got it figured out before you've heard all the facts. No, Paul says, don't, don't prejudge in these matters, and don't do anything with partiality. No partiality. And by the way, that's, that's, you, you heard the old phrase, uh, the scriptural phrase, no respecter of persons. That's, that's what that means. No partiality in judgment. You, you judge by biblical principle. You don't, you don't uh, go lighter, for example, on somebody that... Uh, if, I mean, if you're talking about somebody in sin, you don't go lighter on somebody because you like them better or because they put more in the offering plate or something like that. You, you judge without partiality. And that's what Paul's commanding Timothy to do here in the case with the elders. No prejudgment and no impartiality. And then verse 22 almost kind of backs up here uh, chronologically. He says, uh, Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. 
Keep yourself pure. And let me, let me say this real quick. That little phrase right there is what I hope would sum up what we're talking about tonight. Keep yourself pure. I think that's what, what Paul is, is, uh, is saying really throughout the epistle, but uh, also right here. Uh, in other words, this is why you do these things as a church, as church leadership. This is why you do these things to keep yourself pure. It's for the sake of purity in the church. And, of course, purity of the individuals. Um, in order to have a pure, or have purity in the church, there has to be purity in the lives of the individuals. And especially in the leadership. It's got to start there. And that's what I think he's saying here. What does he mean by do not lay hands on anyone hastily? I think he's talking about appointing elders. We would say ordination, ordaining elders, ordaining pastors. You don't do that too hastily. And we already had uh, instruction earlier in this book, in chapter 3, how to choose elders. In other words, that there has to be certain characteristics that, that the church looks for. Uh, chapter 3, verse 2, a bishop must be blameless, husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, good behavior, hospitable, apt to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, and, and so on. So he's, he's saying here, don't approve somebody, I'm paraphrasing of course, but don't approve somebody for ministry too hastily. We have a tendency um, to get taken up in people's personalities. And, you know, you, you see, I mean, I've heard people talk about celebrities and say, say something like, you know, I think that guy's called to preach and he just missed, doesn't realize it, he misses calling. I want to know why, why in the first place do they think he's called to preach? Or that he's called to do anything for, for the kingdom of God? It's more than likely because of his personality, his charisma, his, his gifts. Because he's a great singer or because he's a great actor or a great speaker or whatever. And automatically people think, uh, man, if that guy or, or if that lady were in the ministry, just think what they could do for the kingdom of God. Don't lay hands on anyone suddenly or hastily. Um, they're, they're, they've got to fit the criteria that he lays out in chapter 3. Because the danger is, and that's really what he gets into here, if you do, if, if, you, if you put somebody in leadership that doesn't belong there, and then they go wrong, well, for one thing, you're endangering the whole church, but also he's telling Timothy, you share in their sin. You, you, you've, in a sense, condoned um, their sin. You set them up in a place where they, they didn't have any business being. So, uh, I, I think it, there's, this is a, a stern warning. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily. 
nor share in other, pe- in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. Keep yourself pure. Um, I think the, the way to in, encourage purity in the life of believers and the congregation is through pure doctrine. That's where it starts. Now, now let me say this. I think you can, you can have all, uh, all, most, let's say most. Nobody's got it all right, probably. <laughs> but you, you can pretty much have your doctrine right, right down the line and still, you know, have it up here and, and still live uh, an ungodly life or, or just, just be unloving, whatever. But it's going to be harder, if not impossible, to live right without having the doctrine right first. The doctrine is necessary. It's not the only thing, but it's, it's necessary. And that's why Paul puts so much emphasis on purity of doctrine, sound doctrine, healthy doctrine, and so forth. So if you've got a man in leadership who's not preaching, teaching, sound doctrine, then it's a trickle-down effect. Uh, the people aren't being fed. They're not, they're not hearing sound teaching. And as a result, they won't live it either. So uh, all of that results in participating in the sins of a man who's in a position that he should have never been placed in. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily or share in other people's sins. Keep yourself Pure, Timothy. Keep yourself pure. And I think by implication you could say the church. That's what Paul wants here. He wants the church to strive for purity. Now let me skip verse 23 just for a moment because it's like a parenthetical um, uh, sentence there. And it, it, it kind of it, it appears to break the thought. So let me come back to that um, and read verse 22 and 24. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment. But those of some men follow after. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. So he's just simply saying some men's sins are, are there, they're open, they're easily seen. Um, and they precede them to judgment. Uh, maybe, maybe a reference to the, the final judgment, the judgment day. Maybe he's talking about the judgment of uh, Timothy and the other elders when, when, when they're considering this person uh, as a leader of the church. Uh, either way, he's saying some sins are evident, some are not, but they will be made manifest. Uh, at some point. And likewise, good works are the same way. Some are clearly evident. Those that are not clearly evident cannot be hidden. It, it will become manifest. So there, his instructions for um, dealing with elders. You honor them. You discipline them. You very, very, very carefully choose them when you when you set them up as Elders as leaders in the first place, you, you do that uh, carefully and, and uh, prayerfully, not hastily, and uh, 
Then, let me come back to verse 23. No longer drink only water. Now, here, this is an instruction for, for Timothy, which all of this is. He's speaking directly to Timothy. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Okay, how did that get in the middle of <laughs> instruction for how to deal with elders? <clears throat> That's a good question, and a lot of people um, um, uh, kind of struggle with that. <laughs> kind of struggle with that. It's hard to answer. But let me just say this about it. I, I think, just in the context of the letter, and, and this is pretty much a guess, but but uh, um, if you look back. Let's see here. Well, I lost my place here. Okay, earlier on in the epistle, Paul is talking about false teachers. Like I say, this is just kind of a stab, kind of, kind of a guess, um, because of the context of the letter. Um, for example, chapter 1, verse 3, I urge you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. In other words, what Paul is doing here is writing to Timothy, um, and starts out the letter talking about uh, how to deal with those who are teaching who are teaching false doctrine. Now, if I can find it, I know it's right here in front of me. Look in chapter four, verse one. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. What I'm suggesting is this. Part part of Paul's purpose in writing this letter is to deal with false teachers. He's, he's saying, look, Timothy, I want you to put to silence false teachers. That's chapter 1, verse 3. I charge you that you charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables, endless genealogies, and so on. But you want to stick to what is... Uh, what is uh, Good for godly edification, which is in the faith. And then we get over to chapter 4, and we did quite a bit of discussion on this. He, he gives a little bit of insight to some of the false doctrine. He doesn't spell it all out and say, here's the bad things that they were teaching, but he does give a couple of examples. Here's a couple of examples. Um, in chapter 4, uh, verse 3, forbidding to marry, 
They were speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and secondly, commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So at least two things he tells us. They forbid marriage. The false teachers did. And they were commanding abstinence from certain foods which Paul says God created um, to be received with thanksgiving. Now, it's it's... Seems to me, um, number one, what he's doing over here in, in chapter 5, verse uh, 23, and this much is obvious, he's expressing a concern, a concern for Timothy's health. Now, that much is obvious. He's giving instruction. Here's what you do, Timothy. Drink no longer water, only water, because they, they, they had bad water, uh, just like they do today in, in uh, other parts of the world. Uh, so he says, no longer drink only water. But use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Now, he does that again right in the middle of his instructions about elders. Um, so I think one thing you, you might gather from that is that uh, uh, an elder's got a responsibility to, uh, to take care of himself, right? Paul wants Timothy to be healthy. But also, he mentions specifically, and this is what I find interesting, Drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. Now, when I, when I think about that in light of what we just read over in chapter 1 and chapter 4, the false teachers were commanding abstinence from certain things. And Paul doesn't say what. He doesn't say what kind of foods. It's possible um, that one of the things they were commanding abstinence from was wine. And so he specifically here tells Timothy commands Timothy, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake and for your frequent ailments. Now, whether or not, you know, he's got the false teachers in mind there like I just suggested, and, uh, and, and that may not be the case, um, it just seems to me to fit. But whether or not he does, uh, his command is the same. He, he tells Timothy, no longer drink only water. Apparently, Timothy is sick a lot. And again, they had bad, bad water, bacteria, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I wonder, you know, they talk about us having good water, but I wonder sometimes <laughs> how good our water is uh, here today with all the pollution. But at any rate, he says, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and for your frequent infirmities. So it, it may be, just a suggestion, it may be that uh, he specifically mentions that because this is something that the false teachers are commanding abstinence from. And again, Paul's emphasis here all the way through here, in fact, this is the emphasis all the way through the New Testament, is on true righteousness, genuine righteousness, not, not, uh, uh, not a perceived or false righteousness that comes from, uh, as he puts it, observing uh, or giving heed to fables and... and uh, Myths and so forth. So that's just a suggestion. But, um, uh, it, because again, that text is a little awkward being right, right there in the middle of all that instruction. But, uh, the rest of it is, is, is pretty clear. <laughs> Paul is just saying, here's how you deal with the pastors. Honor them, discipline them, and, uh, 
then a, a note to Timothy, take care of yourself. Keep yourself healthy. And, and it's all for the good of the church. And let me just say this in closing. That, that's, that's the bottom line. Why, why be so careful about putting, or, or let me say it this way, why be so careful about who we put in the ministry? Why not lay hands on people hastily? Because it's the Lord's body, the church, that will suffer as a result. And I, I, I think, uh, um, well, I think we see that, especially in our day where there's, there's so, so much different doctrine floating around. And, and so many people are so quickly thrust into and so easily thrust into uh, various forms of ministry. And the result is you've got all kinds of doctrine flying everywhere. And, uh, you know, people don't know what to believe half the time. So, it's for the health of the church. The discipline that he talks about, the carefulness in selecting leaders, um, even, even the other things that we discussed in previous weeks, like honoring uh, older men and older women, honoring widows, all of this is for the health of the church, for the edification of the body of Christ. And for His glory. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for Your Word. and Lord, uh, just as always, we continue to ask for better understanding. Lord, may You uh, bring all of these things home to our heart and show us how they apply in our our own church life uh, here at Fillmore, uh, in our own individual lives, uh, Lord, in our our times uh, at home or at the office or school, wherever we are, and show us how they apply as far as outreach, uh, just just being witnesses for you in the community. Uh, Lord, make us a healthy church so that in all that we, we do here, you are honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.